0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Will Leverson, and this is Sports Spot Weekly. Today's episode Beware the Eyes of March. And that, of course, is a play on the well, I should say, famous for those of us that maybe have uh, taken a look at Shakespeare over the years. But Beware the Ides of March was the warning given to Julius Caesar. Um, the now, well celebrated or infamous or famous assassination there of uh, Julius Caesar, but the the warning was in Shakespeare's play Julius Caesar, and of course once again given to Caesar, and this was all based off of the uh, the Ides of March, uh, the the Ides of Marinus or what have you, which was the uh, the time celebrating uh, coming into spring here in March and April. Uh, they're of the cycle of the full moon, and of course, we know that there's all sort of connotations that come with the moon and its cycles and such, and the same can be said for the eyes of March, the eyes of the sports uh, fans or sports consumer when it comes down to the off-season or recent off-season, recently started off-season for uh, professional football. The beginning uh, spring training should, should, should have started in earnest by the time here of this show and the beginnings of, of baseball, uh, professional baseball, MLB, um, here starting the spring. And also, the Ides, or the ending of the season, they're beginning of the playoff run uh, for the NBA. So the I's and of course, we also know that for, for American collegiate sports, the uh, March Madness, We'll begin here in earnest, where the top teams in the nation will seek to compete for the college national title in men's and women's hoops. So the, this time in March is historically important. Uh, for the Western world as it pertains to the time of change for the old Roman Empire and the assassination of Julius Caesar and the beginnings of Imperial Rome and the endings of the the Republic of Rome. And then we take a look here at our American professional sports for basketball. It's the ending of the regular season. Uh, we have less than a quarter of the season left to go. Uh, many teams like the Lakers and, and, and Golden State Warriors and and many others are are seeking to either solidify their position when it comes down to teams like the uh, Grizzlies or Pelicans or even teams like uh, the Clippers and such, and and Suns, respectively, to play out the rest of the season and improve their team standings uh, as they're looking to where their placement is going to be going into the postseason, to the playoffs. So one of the, or two of the top teams here, we mentioned about the Denver team and Nikola Jokic with our last episode. This episode we're going to focus on uh, where we're at now in the acquisition of Kevin Durant and and his, and his playing with the Phoenix Suns and Kyrie Irving's respective move there to the Dallas Mavericks. Kyrie's been playing for some games uh, here now, Kevin Durant's Uh, First couple of first handful of games have just been played out. So the two new acquisitions by both Western Conference teams, how they're looking. uh, I know that a lot of times in in sports fandom and, and, and being a consumer and not a player. Right. Where we're looking at taking a look at these games and saying, oh, man, you know, this is. This is at least a, maybe a bit of foreshadowing or we, we were able to see a potential playoff preview and see how those teams match in a one-off, one-off, one-off situation, which is what you're looking at in a play-in. And thankfully, both these teams, Dallas and, 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 and the uh, Phoenix Suns, are, aren't really in a position where they're in play-in territory as much as they do have to protect their current placement and make sure that they're able to stay out of that fray of the seventh, eighth seed and having to uh, do the one, one and one, one and done games there against some hungry teams to where you could potentially see an upset that doesn't translate. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be of the volition right now. If it happens to come down to the Phoenix Suns and the LA Lakers being in a one and one off game. That I have the confidence with an unhealthy LA team and a team that's still searching for, I shouldn't say still searching, but looking to either renew or to leverage the um, amicable sort of capacity there for their two stars. Maybe there was... Uh, I won't call it turmoil, but some things that had come up between AD and LeBron respectively on how maybe the two were looking to continue their working relationship with, with each other there. And there were just some questions that uh, that we were needing or, or wanting to be answered. And hopefully through their play, trying to get this team into the postseason. Of course, LeBron James is out uh, due to a foot injury. And Anthony Davis and the current Lakers uh, supporting cast have to wield that team Into the playoffs, and that's you know, when it comes down to the sports commentary and analyst world, where based off of injury history and sort of what the Lakers have been dealing with in the aftermath of their uh, winning the championship in 2020 during the coronavirus or the onset of the coronavirus um, pandemic, there that we of the sports world and fandom and consumerism have the confidence that the Lakers. You know, as long as they stay healthy, they're as competitive as any of the top teams. We just haven't seen that play out for these Spurts where we're talking about, you know, a third of a season, you know, a quarter of a season, twenty, twenty-one games, twenty two games in there. You know, what is what does a twenty two game schedule look like for a Lakers team that hasn't been healthy in nearly two over two seasons, two and a half seasons now? That can't fare well For the longevity and for the projection to say that, hey, this current Lakers team, uh, you know, they're playing hard. There's a good possibility of what a 49% now chance that they are able to make the playoffs, make the play in what have you. That we're confident that this team, given their issues uh, as of late here, that we can see them winning beyond one series you know, in the playoffs. So for the forecasting of this show and the prognostication and how I say I'll take my cubic zirconia ball and just tell you that, I, yes, I believe that the Lakers, with a healthy LeBron James and a healthy Anthony Davis, are just as great of a matchup as any of the teams that are in the the, the top eight right now in the Western Conference. I am just not confident that this Lakers tandem, this older Lakers tandem, um, that they'll be able to play for essentially a, you know, a potential another quarter of a season. If they get into, you know, five game uh, series in the playoffs, that's, you know, they got to make it to the Western Conference. So five games a piece there, if they, t- if they have five game series that are able to will themselves and win, that puts them at that point 15 games in with the potential for another five, six, seven games in the postseason. That puts you at a little bit over of a quarter of a season worth of play. So in just that sort of projection, do we believe, you know, do do I believe as a host of this show uh, that the Lakers have a good chance of fielding a healthy roster with their two stars on into the postseason? I can't see that right now, but I can say that I do have confidence that they could beat, they get in as a seventh and eighth seed, I can see them winning a series, and like I said, this isn't, you know, to lamp-based or or to, you know, shide or otherwise disavow someone's success. I mean, Nikola Jokic is playing fine, and the team around him is playing great. You know, they're playing some great basketball, first seed in the West. I'm just not confident that in a series against... Some top level defense and some top level competition that I believe that that Denver team led by Nikola Jokic is just by and large the best team in a seven in a five six seven game series in the playoffs. If Denver's going to make it, they're going to have to polish a few people off with an either a gentleman sweep or or some sweeps outright to where. Their presence is sort of commanding and demanding that um, status as top dogs in the West, because we all know that there was a time in recent history that the Phoenix Suns prior to the Kevin Durant acquisition were looked at as being at least a top team in the West after they won a Western Conference Uh, uh, finals and played against the Milwaukee Bucks and eventually would lose to the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis's first title there, Uh, we were still saying that the Suns in their talent level were at least in some position where we're going to be confident that they can make a deep run into the postseason based off of what they already had. And you grow that conversation out from there and you add a player like Kevin Durant. And now that at least bumps the sun's back up into that conversation of being top dogs in the west. Of course, we have the defending champions of the Golden State Warriors that that are in a position now where they're maybe, you know, in out the playoffs, who knows how this season ends, especially with the Lakers making it making it a, a a dash there, but uh, this could definitely turn out to be an interesting time for the Western Conference in that this may be the first time in some years where the Western Conference team when you're talking about, you know, strength of wins and, and, and where, you know, fortunes lie in, in, in sort of a winning way and winning out. Teams in the West, there's not a vibe I can get where I can tell you that there is a for sure, absolute, Front running team that should they make it into the conference to the NBA finals against a team like Boston or against Milwaukee that I have the confidence that a Western Conference team is going to be able to compete. Or even I'm telling you this, if somehow the Sixers can will this team, if Joel Embiid can become the best version of of himself in a postseason and will that team A la Shades of Giannis going on an all-time historic run for a 76ers player. I am telling you right now, there isn't a Nikola Jokic-led team or a Kevin Durant-led team that I'm going to sit up here and tell you that I feel like, hands down, they're the prohibitive favorites in a NBA Finals against an invigorated, well-playing Joel Embiid—a a historic setting run. If I—if that happens in the playoffs, and I know we, you know, we—we we, hate to deal in fallacy and driving home points, but seriously, Joel Embiid is an uns—a true unsung player. He's playing out. In the East, against the likes of this Boston Celtics team that is a true complete team, against the historic run of a Giannis Antetokounmpo, at all and all the other Bucks, Brook Lopez also. I mean, there are some players there in the Bucks that are going to give anyone in the West fits. I am just telling you that from a defensive present standpoint to a playability standpoint. I know in, in last season I took the Boston Celtics. Over Golden State because of the way they handled themselves defensively, and because of where that team was building up this winning way, going into deep playoff runs. A, a young Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart, and even those Terry Rozier teams of Boston when they were making deep runs in the playoffs against the LeBron, the LeBron-led Cavs when LeBron was still in quite his his, his prime there, you know, and, and not having to deal with nagging injuries. Those are great Boston Celtics teams to build up that winning way. And also for the Milwaukee Bucks, yes, the acquisition of Drew Holiday uh, was one of the more key moments in Bucks championship attainment history, but it was also the historic run of Yontes Antetokounmpo, the support that he had of Chris Middleton there, and also, once again, Brooke Lopez and Billy Portis really playing um, well as a supporting cast would helped the Bucks um, uh, win that championship, and that same team uh, is still there. Um, it's just that my goodness, a, any team in the East right now should still be favorites facing off, facing off against any team in the West. Even if if KD Kyrie, if I'm sorry, KD and 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 Devin Booker and Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton and their supporting cast, if they're able to get that team and make a deep run in the playoffs. As as the show title states, beware the eyes of March. I know we're looking at you know an all-time run by Nikola Jokic and, and the likelihood that he wins his third consecutive MVP and all those things, but we're going to hold off on the the um notion that, that by and large because there's been many great playing first seed teams. The, I, man, there was a time when the Paul George and Lance Stevenson Pacers of the world were a first seed, man, playing against uh, the, my, the last year of the Miami Heat, even though the Heat would go on to get beat by the Spurs handedly that year. I remember, what was that, 2013-2014, Indiana, number one seed in the East, playing real well. Uh, I think that was back when they had Hibbert, Roy Hibbert, as their center. And so, yeah, there were some some teams, man, that, that were, and maybe, I'm trying to think, was that 2014, 2013? I know it was somewhere in there when, when, when once again, the, the Indiana was playing the best best out of the East. Even with having LeBron and having the Celtics and having those teams there, and having Giannis and having Joel Embiid and having these players, uh, even at that time, the Washington Wizards team uh, with uh, with Bradley Bill and John Wall and Marcine Gordot um, that was a team that was talked about it being you know a possible run into the playoffs. There, what they had, and at the I remember even at that time. You know, KD being a Washington D.C. native, you know the likelihood that maybe he could leave Oklahoma City and go join that D.C. Um, Wizards team that we were thinking, hey, that you know that would propel this team certainly into the upper echelon of the East. That never happened, but once again, these eyes of March. Where the seasons are ending, seasons are beginning. There's a lot of energy when it comes down to renewal and new vigor. Uh, the NFL draft is coming. Once again, we know that we're going to the start of the uh, uh, the MLB baseball season with some new rules changes and and every, there's a lot of good energy going around. But we just can't get hung up on a lot of the fluff that we're going to see. Um, th- th- there's been sports analysts, former players that have also sort of shared that, yes, there's a lot of times where if you're performing well in a season and you're wanting to either take care, uh, if you have a a, a, maybe a record-setting season or going to set a record, you want to do all you can to, you know, hit the record and then, you know, keep keep that record sort of uh, where it is. Like there's a commentary that LeBron James in these past two seasons, um, when he was trying to really, you know, seal and win this all-time scoring uh, uh, all-time scoring leader um, accolade that it appeared that he was really working towards this historic level of a personal attainment rather than what he was doing was meant to put the LA Lakers in the best possible position you grow their conversation out from there um, I won't say that it seems funny. I mean, a guy's getting hurt, getting hurt on the injury sheet is being hurt. We, you know, it, it is far beyond anybody that's not LeBron James or his team's medical staff to say what is and what isn't. All, all we know is that LeBron was able to uh, remain healthy in order to get the scoring title, ends up being injured, and then we hear that he'd been playing hurt. Uh, for, for some time now. So that's not up to, I mean, as as far as the story being there, uh, sure. There certainly is a story there that, you know, how long has LeBron James been injured? You know, who, beyond LeBron James, whose decision was it to have him playing on this bum foot as opposed to, you know, doing more of a, a load management just to see. But then again, the LA has been in a bottom position in the West and so when you have LeBron James, have Anthony Davis, and you have this thought of perpetual championship trajectory, you know, uh, uh, at what price victory does your complacency and capitulation come? When well, now you're looking at the possibility that one of your top players on the team isn't available. He shares that he's been playing with the injury Um, It's how long have we known that and did we do best by the team by having LeBron available when maybe he shouldn't be. If he was not LeBron James, would he have still been made available um, given his, his, his amount of winning influence on the Lakers? You know, whose decision was that, and has that now put the team in a detriment at this part of the season when they're trying to now win, will that team into a playoff spot? So we'll, it's just a wait-and-see game. Hopefully that LeBron is able to get, uh, get healthy. Hopefully Le, uh, Anthony Davis is able to stay healthy, um, take his game and responsibility uh, on the LA Lakers to the next level, and and really be the full crumb on why this team, without having their next best player made available, that they were able to will this team into a competitive Western Conference playoff picture. And as we take a look at the Suns there, this last game they had there, uh, we we don't. And I know that KD has has been sort of praised in more recent years as having an emergence of an importance on defense uh, alongside of his great offensive output. The Suns won yesterday's game by four points. The Suns and the Mavericks both had five steals apiece. Where the game was decided in those four points was two blocks, one by DeAndre Ayton, the team big, and one by Kevin Durant, the team linchpin who without those two blocks, that is possibly a tie game going into overtime or maybe even something else. You know, if it's not a clean block, it's a foul. Maybe that's two or three shots. Maybe those are the two the the, the two shot attempts that if they are for a higher percentage uh, of, of points there, that maybe there's instead of a four-point win, it's a one-point loss. Or once again, or, or albeit a potential overtime game. But because of the emerging presence and kd got his block it was late i believe that was in the fourth quarter when i was able to join the game there and and i believe it was that right at 11 minutes somewhere 11 10 minutes kd gets a block and of course we know that he had his uh offensive his the rest of his offensive production in the second half um and we we talk about chris paul and his and his production there but on that team there Besides DeAndre Ayton's defensive presence as being the team big, um, also the Suns beat out the Mavs in rebounds. And, and without having, you know, DeAndre Ayton, like I said, I know he's the team big, but DeAndre Ayton isn't a Joel Embiid. He's not a Giannis. Um, he's not a Robert Williams. He's not a Pascal Siakam. Um, he's not a big in the sense of he's bodying, you know, bodying up like like Shaq and, and, and being able to, 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 you know, will and get rebounds at will. Um, but he is the big for the Suns. So that comes with a responsibility in production as a big. And so we can only hope that the defensive presence of Kevin Durant, especially late in games, where, you know, the speed of the game, people are trying to will in shots and that, that his presence there is as a I won't call him a rim protector as much as a emerging defensive presence in the high and low post. That there is a potential that Kevin Durant's emergence of his defensive production can literally be the reason why that they're able to beat or 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 in a matchup in a series have the edge because realistically against scores like Luka and Kyrie man you'd expect uh for a close game you'd expect for uh you know a potential um you know one point win two point win to go to the scores there to the tandem of scores there but it was because of the defensive presence, man. This is—I know, I know it's a block. Well, he's—it's not like he's averaging, you know, three and a half blocks a game. Will, what are you talking about? Emerging defensive presence. Look, KD gets one block a game. If it's the one block that puts his team up two points, three points, on all the all the efficiency and win shares and all the advanced stats, that's what translates into the win. It's not like football where. You know, you might have a guy that has a low tackle output in the game, but or I should say it's just like football, where you might have someone that didn't get a sack all game. Maybe he hasn't had a sack in eight games, but in the crunch time moment on a key play to keep an opponent either out of scoring range or, or to limit, you know, if, if instead of seven, it's three points or maybe even nothing. You know, the one sack that Joe Schmuckatelli gets in the game, could be the deciding factor at that moment, so they're at that point it was you know maybe if the team has a multiple sack performance, that one sack was the hugest sack in the game, and just like that, that block late I mean early in the fourth quarter, late in the game, along with deandre ayton's block that's that's the four points they won by like that's literally it, and so it doesn't matter you know. You know how he got there. That it's not a multiple blocker, multiple steal performance. I believe Chris Paul had a couple steals, which is going to be important and key for Chris Paul. Which I mean, when you're talking about basketball and how players and rosters are fitting together, that's what the Suns need from Chris Paul at his size and at his position to be able to expend more on a defensive end, so that he makes so that he makes scoring for you know guards. Harder to do if he's getting a couple steals a game. Once again, steals and blocks, those are translated to opportunities and chances that the opposing team doesn't have to score. So you translate the, those defensive efforts into how does this fare for the team? And every time that it's a close game, man, that's what's going to determine in the playoffs, in in a four, five, six, seven-game series. Those are the efforts which are going to determine who wins the series and who advances. It's not, oh, man, he was a, a dominant player through the whole regular season. And, and 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 well, is he dominant on defense? Is there some identity? This was a question for KD also. It was until we saw the performance, even with Golden State, turn into a great, when they say turn into, not that it wasn't there, but, he emerged as a great defender, blocking shots. That has translated over into his identity that KD, instead of being you know, relegated to somewhere on the outside of, of playing better than LeBron, then you can't even argue it right now that KD is certainly the better player than LeBron um, for at least a, a hand, couple handfuls of seasons, man. And, and even though it may not be the same defensive, you know, chase down artists that we had known LeBron James to be, still having some measure beyond what your core game is for any player is what's going to determine how you fare against other great players. I am telling you right now, as of this last week's show, this week's show, that should the Denver Nuggets find themselves in a playoff series against Phoenix Suns, um, a healthy LA Lakers uh, against whatever team that Golden State can field should they make a way back into the postseason or make make a deep playoff run. I am not confident that a player who has not shown that they are able to keep that you know keep that same energy when it comes down to tough games in a Western Conference Finals. I can tell you this. In matchup to matchup, Luka Doncic scored the same amount of points, got nearly the same amount of rebounds, I think 31 points, right at, hovering around, around about uh, 10 rebounds, between 8 and 10 rebounds, uh, eight, and, 8 and 10 assists. Luka's performance did not diminish in 2020 in a six-game series against the LA Clippers, of whom which... Nikola Jokic also played against, they would eventually, the Denver Nuggets would eventually beat the the LA Clippers and face the LA Lakers in the Western Conference Final. Team to team, Western Conference Final, Western Conference Final, Luca's production does not dip. There isn't a, well, he's playing against a marquee defensive team and his production just tanked. Nikola Jokic's Performance against the L.A. Lakers was, I believe, nearly 10 points off of his season average. Um, the rebounds were down, uh, the assists were down. That's where the narrative that up against a defensive presence like Anthony Davis, Nikola Jokic hasn't shown that he's able to elevate himself in those situations. Grow the conversation out from there. I know there was a game they played against uh, Joel Embiid in the 76 this year, where again, Joel Embiid was able to showcase that as far as a big goes, he still got the weight to throw around the league as being one of the better bigs. Nikola Jokic has the ability to say, hey, I'm one of the greatest regular season players that the NBA has seen up until this point with winning multiple uh, MVPs, back to back MVPs, even something the likes of which Michael Jordan, I won't say that he didn't earn it, but he certainly wasn't awarded multiple MVPs even after his inaugural MVP attainment in 1988. It wouldn't be until the Bulls three-peat era, the first three-peat era, where we see Michael winning consecutive MVPs, and that's Michael Jordan. So I can't tell you that as a, you know, watching these games, that a player like Nikola Jokic gives me the same vibes as watching an emerging Jordan um, battle against the uh, perennial talents that he had in, 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 in the Celtics and Detroit Pistons there, respectively, there in the East. And then would eventually beat uh, Magic Johnson and the Lakers and then the Trailblazers and then the Suns to begin the first 3 era in the 90s but Mike in the 80s was every bit of a great talent year in and year out uh, where other great players were able to acknowledge that he is you know by and large one of the best players, even at that point, to play a game, multiple scoring titles, not, you know, scoring record overall in the NBA, but scoring titles, multiple scoring titles did Michael Jordan have in these years where he wasn't awarded the prohibitive MVP. And we're talking about regular season awards and such. So, you know, it, I don't want to just sound like a person of a certain age. I want to be able to look at. Uh, the uh, NBA games there as being every bit of competitive, and they are competitive. We're just going to say for the sake of argument that Nikola Jokic at this point, his regular season success has not translated into anything other than an exit in the Western Conference Final against a premier defensive team. I know you can say, well, that's maybe against, maybe what you can say about a lot of players. What about Luka and, and, and playing against the Golden State Warriors? Well, Luka, every bit of the emerging talent where you can see it. Uh, Luka's Luca's play doesn't diminish in the postseason. It doesn't diminish. It has not diminished in any year that he's had his team in the postseason. Has not diminished. As a matter of fact, I believe he averaged three points higher in the, in the 2020 postseason than he did in the regular season. As a matter of fact, uh, Luka averaged more points than Nikola Jokic in that season. And, 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 even, and even when we take a look, like, say, a degree of difficulty, Luka hasn't diminished against premier talent. So we'll see where Nikola Jokic's uh, regular season prowess, how that's able to maybe transform, translate in the postseason. We just haven't seen it yet. So it is a wait-and-see game with Nikola Jokic. Uh, Kyrie Irving is, is, is an NBA champion. Uh, he has joined up with Luka Doncic. Uh, We'll see for where that team, where the Mavs are able to make it in this. But Luka Doncic has proven that he, his talent doesn't diminish the same way that we didn't see Michael Jordan's talent or scoring or anything. You know, we know the Jordan rules, right? And that, now that well-touted, you know, discipline, defensive discipline, is just like walling off Giannis or, or, or doubling up KD, you know, teams Great defensive teams are able to see where they're able to leverage that skill and put themselves in a position where, where without that defensive effort, they're not on the same playing field as those um, as those scores and great players. So we'll have it's a wait and see game. The eyes of March, the eyes don't have it when it comes down to prohibit prohibitively giving Nikola Jokic the you know the 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 nod as being the top player in the west and that his team is is you know beyond record is a top team to beat in the west certainly they have a record um, there that puts them, i mean their best team record wise in the in the western conference we know that there are some players who their mentality toward the game and i you know um, i don't agree with it i don't agree with Sort of melling it in for the regular season, and then putting everything, you know, putting all your ducks in a row and putting all your eggs in the postseason basket. For me, it's a little bit too too little too late at that point. It has to be some healthy medium or you know healthy healthy middle uh, when it comes down to where you're applying yourself in the regular season and where it translates. So we'll see. Um, In the past two seasons, where Nikola Jokic has won the MVP. His team hasn't made it beyond 2020 with getting deep into the postseason. So we'll have to see where that goes. We'll have to see where the KD, Devin Booker, Chris Paul triumphant of the Phoenix Suns to see where that team is able to go. I would say right now that the Suns, I won't call them prohibitive favorites in the West, but certainly certainly they're in the top two or three conversation there in the West. We'll have to see, really, I mean, if you're if you're going to say, Besides the different Nuggets regular season attainment, who is the other team out of the West right now that you're going to say, hey, hands down, you know, d- depending on what happens there, with it, that we should see the Suns in the Western Conference Final? I'm willing to say that. I am just not at, the, at sure at this point. Who's that second team? I can't tell you. I'd love to say the Clippers. I don't know. I don't have the confidence that Kyrie that Kawhi Leonard's malaise of playing in the regular season, that that's going to somehow translate into a, a... a a And I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, I'm back. It looks like I had a phone call come in here while we're doing the show, and I do apologize for the interruption. But as we were making the point that it's a wait-and-see game uh, here, wait-and-see postseason when it comes down to outside of the Phoenix Suns, who is the next... Team uh, that we can really see making a deep run into the postseason. Uh, so, uh, and as we take a look also at you know postseason or off season um, acquisitions or or what teams are doing, we also take a look here at football and a team here today, just recently here today, was uh, is March sixth, twenty twenty three, that the Derek Carr saga of where he lands in the aftermath of his unceremoniously, unceremonious uh, loss of his job uh, as the starting quarterback for the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, That Derek Carr has signed or is in the process of completing his signing with the New Orleans Saints. And the Saints are, are, are are a team who is in the aftermath of the departure, retirement of Sean Payton as head coach, the retirement of Drew Brees as their longtime Super Bowl uh, winning play and Super Bowl winning quarterback, uh, playoff quarterback there, um, that the New Orleans Saints are, and I, I you know a lot of teams call it rebuilding, uh, you know, or 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 you know they're in a rebuild, or or that they're trying to you know find a new direction. Really, the Saints as a team is a team that's looking for their identity in the aftermath of their longtime owner passing you know passing away um, uh, and once again the retirement of their longtime coach, a longtime quarterback. The Saints, you know, a lot of teams have this identity like for example, Chicago's a defensive team, Baltimore's a you know they they their their legacy is you know, when you think about Baltimore, you always think about them fielding the defense. I know Joe Flacco played there for many years, had multiple playoff appearances. But we always think about when we look at Baltimore. We, we, you know, you think of Ozzie Newsome as a GM, or you think of the defenses that the Baltimore Ravens have had. You grow your conversation out from there. The Houston Texans, Houston Texans. Their identity in the draft and the NFL draft is that they're going to take a look at taking the marquee defensive talent in the draft. You know, if they've got a first-round draft pick, second-round draft pick, most of the times they're going to go full Monty and, and, and get the top defensive talent. They did that with Mario Williams, you know, J.J. Watt, you know, uh, uh, and 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 I think uh, um, one of the Clowney brothers, if I'm not mistaken. So, um it's one of those things where I think it was Jadavian, if I'm not mistaken, took Jadavian Clowney there. So that, that's their identity. They had Connor Barwin, you know, some other defensive guys on that team. So, uh, so the Texans have this identity that maybe maybe not their defensive team. Or, or when you think about their production, yeah, you think about uh, um, you, th- you think about Hopkins and, and Andre Johnson. And some of these other um, uh, players that they've had, Adrian Foster, you know, some players who who had some great offensive production in their years there. So you kind of think about these things. But does the do, do the, the the Texans' identity outside of you know being aggressive in the draft when it comes down to defensive players? They don't really have an identity outside of that, as or other than being the other team in Texas. And so you and then you take a look at. At, uh, at a team like the Seahawks, right? They have Pete Carroll still for a coach. So they're still looked at as being a rah-rah, you know, destination for a young player that needs a, an environment that's not going to be so overly challenging because of the personality of the coaching staff and things. Like, that's what you think about. Then you, you grow the conversation out from there, you know, playing up in Seattle and the, the great fans and, and the stadium. At one point, uh, the, the Seahawks Stadium was like the marquee sports venue for football. I think they had like some great stuff with like how they generate power there and you know like like use renewable energy and things like that so you know it, seattle is kind of that destination for people then we of course we have the cali teams right you know you go out to cali you know if you're going to san francisco you're looking to put the 49ers on a championship trajectory because in their in their history they've got joe montana steve young colin kaepernick for some so you're going there you're quarterback you know of the uh, of of the san francisco 49ers and you're somebody that has some playability, you're going to be looked at as, as, as having a potential Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, you know, we say that Jimmy just has the winning way. When Jimmy G is in, they win. And so, you know, it's not simply because of his performance with being on New England Patriots and Bill Belichick looking at him as a potential replacement early on in his career and earlier in Tom Brady's career, respectively, as a replacement for Tom Brady. Like, with all that being out there, it's also because of where Jimmy G landed. If Jimmy G would have went to the Texans and won, and won some games, we wouldn't quite look at him the same way as we would if he's – look at Brock Purdy. Uh, you know, great talent, was able to, you know, play alongside. You know, when we talk about teams that have, you know, a defensive presence, man, San Francisco's defense for like the past three, four seasons has been top-notch you know the, their players are, are perennial Pro Bowlers on this side of the ball, uh, in between Bosa and, and some of those other guys, man. So you have so you have an identity beyond you know who's the quarterback. But because you're the quarterback in San Francisco, because the supporting team has been so strong in San Francisco, even harkening back to the days of Colin Kaepernick and such, like we look at that team as being, and, and then you grow the kid, the history out from there. The New Orleans Saints were not looked at as the high flying Saints that we think of them today as the high powered high octane offense of the New Orleans Saints. They earned that reputation with the schemes of Sean Payton and playability of Drew Brees of you know, multiple 5000 plus yard seasons for Drew Brees, you know, 40 plus Touchdown seasons for Drew, Blee, Drew Brees, you know, the the ability for Drew as, as being a quarter, you know, a, how do they call it, you know, shorter quarterback, smaller quarterback, what have you. Being able to eke out an existence in the NFL and, and put himself in, in trajectory where he's a future Hall of Famer. Um, like the Saints earned that. And yes, it was through putting together rosters that can do that on both the defensive side of the ball and offense. But in recent years, and even in recent years, we've seen Alva Kamara, who emerged as a great back. I remember when he was being drafted. I believe out of Duke. Uh, I believe was it Duke or was it? yeah, it was Duke. Um, you know, looking at like you know a Duke running back. You know what? But he came in and, and was able to, in the vein of having those quick uh, running backs there. You know, Reggie Bush, Darren Sproles, um, Deuce McAllister to some to some degree. Even though Deuce was a little bit more of a traditional back. For some of those Saints teams there, uh, but Reggie Bush certainly being a, a fast back you use out of the backfield as a receiver. Same thing with Darren Sproles. Darren Sproles made his living on being a a, 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 a dual threat back, but more of a threat as being a receiver of the ball. And then we have Alvin Kamara, who certainly um, can do uh, anything that he's called on for at for the Saints offense. But the Saints do have beyond uh, the acquisition of Derek Carr. The legacy that they've built in recent years is of being a high-powered, high-octane offense. No one is looking for the Saints to be an also ran at offense. Like this past season, there wasn't a position that the Saints had that was top 10 that was like meaningful. Like when you think about okay, the, the their points per game, their red zone scoring, their TDs per game. They barely cracked the top 20 in TDs per game at 19th. They were 18th in yards per game and 21st in red zone scoring last year. So the Saints, in that in their identity as being a high-powered octane offense, it certainly hasn't been that in recent years. And even more so to what we've seen in the playoffs there, even toward the end of the Drew Brees and Sean Payton era, where, you know, the high. Octane offense um, didn't really produce that in the postseasons. Certainly had lost some games against San Francisco, uh, even the Alex Smith San Francisco teams. They lost some games against them. And then, of course, we know that the Saints uh, had a Seahawk Hill decline, but they weren't able to really do much with the Seahawks in, in, in many postseasons. That's with the, not just the Legion of Blue, even post. Legion of Boom and more of the, uh, you know, just post Legion of Boom. No longer that defense, man. There were still some some postseasons that the Saints couldn't beat the Seahawks, man. Okay, so the high—it's almost like the high octane, high powered offense for the Saints is just as much of a fable at this point as the frozen tundra is for the Green Bay team. Like no one looks at Green Bay as being, oh my God, you go play in Green Bay. You know, in the postseason, in the winter, man, they're gonna have your number. Nobody looks at Green Bay like that anymore. Nobody does. The only people that are still holding on to that, uh, you know, that that I can't even call it time honored. And the old fro- frozen tundra has been gone for many seasons. It's not something that you know. Since Aaron Rodgers maybe hasn't been playing well in the past couple of seasons. nope. Even before then, even even in their in their. uh, uh, uh Lombardi trophy winning season, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody that told you that they felt like Aaron Rodgers and the Packers were playing on the old motif or the old, you know, frozen tundra tradition. That's not, that hasn't been the Packers in quite some time. And the same can be said for the high powered, high flying, high octane offense of the Saints. And then you grow the conversation out from there. One of, two of their, uh, Top producing or top offensive talents for the team, Michael Thomas, even though he had just he's you know uh, made some comments in support of the acquisition of Derek Carr Michael Thomas has a there's a possibility he could go to another team Alvin Kamara uh, just indicted on charges of aggravated battery, may not be available there for at least a portion of the season. who knows the NFL hasn't really released anything it's ongoing. Uh, proceeding there so but he has been indicted on on aggravated assault that is that is a truth so what the nfl does is on the nfl's prerogative when it comes to that point but as we're taking a look now and then we say okay so will you're telling me that they're um they were 10th in yards per play once again you've got alvin kamara uh there on your team you got tason hill so you've got some some explosiveness on your team so yeah that can get you 10th in yards But that didn't correlate to anything. They're 19th in in TDs per game, 21st in red zone scoring last season, and 18th in yards per game. So in yards per play, 10th. Yards per game, 18th. So when you have numbers like that you're looking at, well, where, you know, where's the correlation? Is there, you know, well, Will, they needed a quarterback, dude. They were fielding Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston these past two seasons. What else do you think is going to happen? Well, I know that a quarterback is just one person at the position. I know that with a four-year deal for a quarterback like Derek Carr, they at least get them someone who has shown that on a not so supportive roster that they're at least able to put up some decent numbers. So if you say, "Hey, all things being being equal and considered, you know, are is this Saints team the same as any of the Ve- Vegas Raiders teams?" That Derek Carr had to play with, and the answer is just about the same. I mean, this year they had Devonte Adams. Uh, um, then they had uh, Josh Jacobs there um, as one of the top backs in the league. So, they and they, and, and, and they have some talent at the receiver, have some talent at the receiver and tight end positions. So, is there anything that Derek Carr gets in becoming the new quarterback of the New Orleans Saints that he didn't already have in, in, in Las Vegas? And besides having a contract that shows some confidence from the decision makers on the team, there's nothing much in playability or player personnel wise that the Saints have that the Raiders at least didn't have this season, honestly. besides the Saints being as of right now in in, in not such a competitive division, as competitive a division as the in uh, AFC West was, I mean the NFC South, no one is going to you know shake a stick at you and say oh you're you' you're lying somehow the the least competitive conference in the NFC is somehow more competitive this year because most of the teams are at a new starting point. You know, I can almost take that argument with you that the, The NFC South may not be as poorly competitive as they were this past season because nearly all the teams there are having to rebuild. Certainly, I shouldn't say rebuild, but find their identity in the aftermath of top-level talent leaving or what have you. Tampa Bay's got to find a way forward. Leonard Fournette is a free agent. Don't know if he's going to resign to the team. So there are definitely, and I mean, there's definitely some acquisitions to be made. Uh, For for several teams to make themselves more markedly competitive than they were last year. I'm just not certain, as it stands right now, that the Derek Carr acquisition, beyond for himself, his own personal playability and attainment, he is in a more stable stable position for himself, not necessarily being, is, is Derek Carr an upgrade from Jameis Winston to Taysom Hill? Yes, I will put the check in that box and say yes. I'm just saying from a talent level to what he had to what he has now, it was certainly with some questions to be answered at, at the receiver and running back positions. You know, do I feel that the Saints are in a better position this year than they were or this upcoming season they were last year? At the quarterback position? Yes, but that's about all. Uh, defensively, the Saints were not bad top 10. Definitely top 15 teams. So they, they were better than half of the half of the league defensively last season. And for me, you know, whether it be business, you know, business operations, you know, uh, employee attrition or retention, you know, things that are in my tool bag that I'm able to leverage on and say, hey, you know, this situation is awfully similar to this situation here. And so, um with that being said, for me, a team that has, uh, the Saints have the 29th pick, so late first round pick uh, uh, in the upcoming draft. And then they have two early picks, I believe eighth, ninth in the second round and eighth in the third round, where they have two earlier picks, two later rounds in a draft, where in this draft, you have a lot of teams that are looking to you know, to get some quarterback talent. The Bears are not quite sure what they're going to do with Justin Fields. Not quite sure what they're going to do with their first round pick. I would say that the, there is a team out there that could be in a much better position trade-wise. I would say that outside of the Derek Carr acquisition for the Saints, the most important thing that the Saints... Um, could have done was is to make sure that they shore up that defense. At least you have a late enough pick in the first round, early enough picks in the second round to where if you're trying to answer a question at running back or at receiver, and I know that Odell Beckham Jr. Is, has got some footage out there, and, and, and making a move like for, to acquire Odell Beckham Jr., for a team like the Saints, where Odell's skill level—I mean, we haven't seen him play um, since he's been in the Super Bowl. So over a season, maybe about a season and a half at this point, haven't really seen what Odell Beckham can offer at this point in his professional career, his physical, you know, ability at, at, at this point in his in his football life, uh, where that's going to translate into him being a you know, a a Pro Bowl or a record-setting receiver. I can't tell you that I can see that. What I do know is this, that if you're having, if there's ever a receiver that is very favorable to a team that needs a bit of a safety blanket at that position, Odell Beckham Jr. is about the best that you can get for maybe not having to overpay somebody for that, uh, for that talent level. Um... And, and there, I mean, there's just and like I said, there's the Leonard Fournette situation also that if you're looking at something right and you're looking and saying, well, how can we make our team better? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not, not sure if they're going to use Tayson Hill as a as an off running back. But I would say if your identity is going to be, you know, a high octane offense or, or trying as best as get back to there then what you're going to need to do in this draft since you have a four-year quarterback is to go out and get you some some performing receivers. I mean, I know the Saints like their big possession guys, like big possession receivers, you know, or guys that can present some sort of a deep threat um, with being ability to, to maybe go up and get a ball. Maybe not a deep scoring threat, but, you know, to go out and get a 40-plus yard play, 30-plus yard play or so, um you know 50 60 yard play that that they're always looking for a receiver that's going to do that and you can you can address that need in the draft you the Saints don't have to be in damage control mode even with the, some of the developments with Alvin Kamara and and Michael Thomas respectively um, even looking to see what the Saints could get back if Michael Thomas does leave the team for the Chiefs I think you immediately um, address your needs in a draft. You don't get free agent happy. But the team is going to need, I mean, if Alvin Kamara is going to miss time and Leonard Fournette is available, Leonard Fournette has shown you that with a decent enough line, a scheme that honestly doesn't put so much pressure on him to be like a, uh, a bellwether back if he could just sort of be your back or be another back or or just sort of be available in that regard. Leonard Fournette can win you some ball games, get you some guards. Um I think Leonard Fournette would would I mean he's a big back. So if if you I mean if you're going to want to shore yourself up at the position, I don't I think there there's not a lot worse than you can do. Than Leonard Fournette, especially if he's wanting to play for your team, and even even he even made that Jaguars team, you know, pretty competitive there. Um, so I can't sit up here and tell you that the Saints' goose is cooked because two of their guys, you know, may not be available. And but I I think it's just you take it as an even keel. You 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 don't get you know too overly excited. Going into the draft, you, you don't go into it thinking, you know, hey, we've got a we've You know, like last year, I, I said that the Giants and teams like that had to win the draft. Like, certainly the Lions went for that. And they I, the Lions, for their team, they won the draft. They got the players they needed to be so, so much more competitive than they were in some prior seasons. Let's see where they build on that. I think the Saints can address their needs at receiver. Uh, they can address their needs at... And 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 shore up the defense. I think you do. <clears throat> excuse me. You do that early. You sure up. You use that 29th pick, and you get an impact defensive player in this draft. We'll be back next week uh, with some draft projections for some of the teams like the Saints and Jets and Ravens, um, Browns. My goodness, Cincinnati, the Bears, uh, Atlanta. Miami, even though I got to I look back again, I, I don't know how many picks Miami's got, but I, I especially like to take a look at the teams that have multiple picks in the early rounds of the draft because those are teams that if they see a need and need to fill that need, they are the teams that are able to do that. Teams that don't have so many picks, you know, either in the early rounds or if all their picks are coming, you know, in the fourth and fifth rounds and things, Those are teams that are going to be able to address secondary needs to the team, meaning not secondary in the secondary. But let's say, hey, you're a team that needs to find a good safety. You're a team that needs to find a great contributor on offense not saying that you cannot find those guys and those players later on in the draft. We certainly know there's been undrafted players or, or late-round picks like Tom Brady and such that have turned into uh, great selections because, you know, they weren't up on people's radar because they weren't the top or sexy pick, you know. Um, but I think that, they, that the Saints are a team that should they go into the draft looking to, number one, shore up their great defense— get what they need at offense to at least have younger talent to field at those positions, receiver especially, tight end, uh, if they can address those needs in the draft. And to also, I mean, it's honestly, they're gonna need to have to find out what their backup quarterback situation is. Taysom Hill is not a quarterback. He is a utility player, much to the same vein as Percy Harvin and Devin Hester to some degree, although I don't think Taysom Hill is as explosive, you know, running ball, you know, on a kick returns or punt returns. But I will say that he does have the makings of a utility at the running back position. Uh, I think that he presents a poor man's version of Alvin Kamara. So you had those two guys on the same team, but they haven't really been able to y- been used that way because, you know, they yeah, had to fill in for injured, uh, for injured Taysom Hill had, had to fill in for an injured Jameis Winston and such. So I don't think Taysom Hill has had an accurate sort of review or, or, or an accurate representation of what he brings to the saints because of how he has, had to have been used so we'll see where the Saints futures lie when it comes to how they're going to address their needs but seriously they're going to need to have to find out what they're going to want to do with their top receiver position and they're going to need to find out what they're going to do in the interim of Alvin Kamara if they're going to want to you know sometimes players can do things and the teams can say hey you know we get it you've been a key contributor but We can't have you around the team anymore. It doesn't seem like Alvin Kamara has that sort of personality on his team. It's just let's wait and see how this legal situation works out for him Uh, there. Now, as far as the rest of the football world and and drafts, like I said, um, and quickly here, the Bears mired in indecision, not quite to the same level as their division mates, the Green Bay Packers, in regards to what are the Packers going to do at the quarterback position? <laughs> the Bears, similar, have a question. But it's, what do you want to do with your quarterback position? You know, it's not like the Packers are, what are you going to do? Are you going to move off from Aaron? Are you going to bring him back? Are you going to let him do do his own prerogative? Are you going to go? Well, Jordan Love, it's for the Bears, what do you want to do with your quarterback? Do you want to hold on to him to see where you, what year two looks like with him?